Thank you, David. <laughs> David is British. That means he's from the motherland, England. Speaking of England, that's where Chad is right now. Chad and Wendy are in England. Uh, I spoke with him yesterday, and he said he's tired of the rain and the clouds. He's moving to Orlando. He's done. He's not really moving to Orlando. Don't quote that. I am super excited to be with you guys today. If you're the kind of person that uh, you get somewhere or you leave the house and you realize you forgot your chapstick and you just flip out, raise your hand. Me too. Uh, I thought I forgot my chapstick. We were about to cancel church, but I have it. It's okay. March Madness is in full swing. Who's a March Madness type of fan? All right. Three. Three people. Um, I, I personally like the World Cup the best. It's my favorite athletic event because it's the World Cup. Come on, it's the whole world. But after that, March Madness, it's the best. It's the best tournament there is. There's college kids playing their hearts out. There's games on literally all day. I think there's a game on right now, not to tempt anyone. But if you, if you get bored, fine with me. Just look at your phone, watch the game. Um, I don't think Laura's here. I saw Josh, but Laura Houston picked Wisconsin to beat Villanova. She picked it. My son Asher right here. You want to stand up, Ash? He's got a Wisconsin Badger sweatshirt on. But I do love uh, March Madness. I love my, two of my kids are here. One of my sons, Abe, the oldest, he said he just wants to go to his class. He doesn't want to stand here and listen to me. It's fine. But two of my sons are here. And we'd like to give you a little insight into our home. Usually, um, people think that pastors are like, real spiritual. We just read the Bible all day. Well, sometimes we do. But usually, we're just being normal families. And we have people over a lot, and we love to grill out. And our kids, uh, the other day, had some of their cousins over. And I overheard them sitting at the kitchen table, and they were playing uh, a game called Would You Rather?, and it's pretty simple. Usually it's just you make up silly things. And so you say something like, would you rather have a beach house or a mountain house? And you have to pick one. And the game is you can't change it. You can't like make up your own rules. You just have to pick one. So tell someone next to you, which one would you pick? A beach house or a mountain house? Okay, and clearly the answer is a mountain house. If you said a beach, if you said a beach house, something's wrong with you. <laughs> But then you can make other things. And when it's our kids playing, they make up really, really goofy and usually like kind of gross things about poop and stuff like that. I won't talk about some of those. But some of the things they said are like, would you rather, and you have to pick one, uh, would you rather wake up every morning and someone just comes in the room and just smacks you in the face? Just one time. Okay, right in the face. Or, that sounds pretty bad. Or you wake up every morning and someone comes in your room and just gives you a paper cut right on the knuckle. Ah, Every morning. And you can't change it. You don't know it's coming. It just happens. Which one, and you have to pick one. So tell someone next to you which one you would pick. I would, I would pick the slap in the face because that paper cut. Ah, that's awful. I don't want that. Okay. Would you rather give up bathing for an entire month or give up TV for an entire month? Good gracious materialistic culture. I think some of our students already gave up bathing for a month, so they don't even have to make the choice. I'm just kidding, guys. We love our students. All right, those are obviously silly and insignificant, but let me give you a real one, a real would you rather. 
Would you rather have a gift or a fruit? Let me put it in a little more context for what we're going to talk about today. Would you rather have gifts of the Spirit or fruit of the Spirit? You can kind of say both to this one. You can cheat. (laughs) Gifts or fruits? That's what we're going to talk about today. And I kind of want to even, you know, this sounds, I don't know, barbaric, but we're going to metaphorically put the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit in an octagon and just let them fight it out and see who wins. So we have a lot of passages to go through because there's a lot of context that we need to build to make sure we get our perspective correct and we don't just go off on one little rabbit trail. So the first verse we're going to jump straight in is 1 Corinthians 14.1. Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. I love this verse because it has the fruit of the Spirit in there, love, and it it has some gifts of the Spirit in there especially that you may prophesy, desire earnestly spiritual gifts. I want to make sure that I don't um, sound negative at all towards spiritual gifts because I'm going to talk about them for a while. I want to make sure that we understand this. Is it good to eagerly desire spiritual gifts? Yes, that's not a true question. It says so right there. Paul says it a few other times as well. It is a good thing to desire spiritual gifts. If you're new here or if you haven't been here very long, let me just make sure that you know We love the gifts here at Bridgeway. We believe that they are for today. They are in operation all the time here. Just before the first service, we, the band and the production team um, gathered in the green room over there, and we prayed for one of the guys in the band that's been having chest pains, and we believe fully that healing's gonna come to him. We believe that. We don't mess around when it comes to the gifts. Like, they're real, they're for today, they haven't ceased, they are in operation in our lives, our, the staff at Bridgeway, and I know many of yours, on a daily basis, not just on Sunday mornings, everywhere we go, the gifts go with us because they're the gifts of the Spirit, and the Spirit's with us, right? So we love the gifts. But let me just talk about the gifts for a second and talk about why we are really drawn to the gifts. Now, I know I said fruit or gifts, and most of you said fruit, and that's kind of the right answer, just to give you uh, the end to the story. But we're very drawn to the gifts. We're drawn to things that are exciting and entertaining and and flashy, right? How many of you in here have have either been healed of something, like physically someone laid their hands on you, prayed for you, and you were healed, or you've received a a really significant prophetic word ever in your life? Raise your hand. Okay, that's like almost all the hands. Was that exciting? It was awesome, right? I have received amazing prophetic words that have altered the course of my life. We love the spiritual gifts, but there's a reason in particular that we are drawn to them, that we love to see prophecy, healing, tongues, gifts of teaching, gifts of words of knowledge, words of wisdom. We love to see those things, even go to conferences that teach about those things. We're drawn to them, and there's a reason, because they're exciting, and that's not bad. That's a good thing. They're very flashy. They're entertaining. We love that. If a TV show is exciting, you watch the TV show. If it's boring, you turn it off, right? If there's a basketball game on, March Madness, and it's really boring, you probably change the channel to another game. If it's flashy and entertaining, they're dunking, and it's incredible, and it's really close, you're going to watch the game. That's normal. That's human nature. Nothing wrong with that. It's just who we are. But think about it even in terms of the gifts. The gifts are exciting, right? They're flashy, You put someone on stage with a high-level gift in healing, and you can get 10,000 people in an auditorium. 
And I'm not saying that's bad. That's not evil. That's awesome. We love that. High level of the prophetic can speak in conferences and tons of people will flock. But let's just begin to make a slight contrast between gifts and fruits. You have a conference called the Signs and Wonders and Glory and Prophecy Conference. 10,000 people. You have a conference called Self-Control and Patience Conference. (laughs) 10 people. Which is like the speaker and his family. So that, I mean, it's just, and, and again, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just how it is though. We're drawn to things that are exciting. We're also drawn to things that we don't have to work hard for. Let's be really honest. If I offered you $1,000, okay, right here, all you have to do is take it, 1000 Or, this is a would you rather again, would you rather have $1,000 or work really hard for a week and then get $1,000? Now, all of us know the right answer. Right, is to say, I, I would choose to work hard, put in my time. No, you wouldn't. None of us would. We would choose a quick, easy thousand bucks. Everybody would. The gifts of the Spirit, this is really interesting, the gifts of the Spirit are given. We don't pay for them, right? When it's your birthday and you receive gifts, you get gifts simply because you're alive for another year. You don't have to pay the person back. If you paid them back, that would be a compensation, right? right? That'd be a wage. It's no longer a gift. If you have to pay for a gift, then it's not a gift anymore. Gifts are free. Gifts are given. We're going to look at the passage in 1 Corinthians 12 that talks about the spiritual gifts. And there's a few key phrases that I want us to see in there. We'll do that in a second. But I want to make sure that we understand why we are drawn to certain things. Because this is going to help us see how we approach fruit of the Spirit in a few minutes. We're drawn to things that are easy, that don't require a lot of hard work, right? Think about diet plans and workout plans over the last few decades. Think about these diet plans that have come out. I can remember when I was a kid, and my parents were here in the first service. I wish they were still here because I'd make fun of them more. But my, I remember my mom ordering these pills. It was like a, a magic pill. I don't know what it was called, but you take one pill a day, and in like six weeks, you lose like 180 pounds, right? You remember these magic pills? Like just one pill a day is all you have to, You don't have to eat better. You don't have to work out. You don't have to do anything. Just take a pill. And all of a sudden, you're going to look like Brad Pitt, right? And then I can remember my dad, he ordered this like juice thing. I think it was called silver something. And you just, you drink an ounce a day. That's all you got to do. It's the same gimmick. All the infomercials were the same. Just it's minimal work maximum results, just drinking outs of this apple cider vinegar stuff a day, and all of a sudden in six weeks, you're going to have perfect abs. Like, no, it doesn't work, but we're all drawn to it. We're all drawn to this stuff. We're drawn to those infomercials. I remember, remember that one belt thing that like shocked you? (laughs) It like electrified your abs. And the whole gimmick of it was, you don't have to do anything. You just sit there at your computer at work. And you have this belt on that shocks the fire out of your stomach for eight hours. And, and again, the same, same thing in four weeks, two weeks, six weeks, whatever it is. A very short amount of time, you look like that guy from Thor, the guy that plays Thor. All of a sudden, all you got to do is electrify your abs for eight hours. If you ever bought one of those, raise your hand. Somebody's lying in here. I saw one hand. Thank you. Just shock your abs for a few weeks, and all of a sudden you'll look great. Why, did, why do people get sucked into these things? The workout plans, they're all the same. All these DVDs that used to come out, you just six weeks is all it needs. But everybody knows, even we still buy it, but we still know it's just not true. 
There's not a magic pill. I mean, this is why I think CrossFit will actually survive. Like, there's always a new workout thing every year, it feels like. But CrossFit, I think, will survive because its whole motto is like, work real hard for a real long time. And that's about it. Like, eat pretty good, work real hard for a long time. And in a year or two or five or ten, you'll see the results you want. Which is why very few people jump into it. How many of you are in CrossFit? Okay, there's like two. Why? Because it's a lot of hard work for a long time. And we're not drawn to that. However, when it comes to gifts especially, when it comes to things that are free, when it comes to things that I don't have to work hard for, we love that. Okay, so let's look at 1 Corinthians 12. This is the passage that we're pretty familiar with, most of us will be, about the gifts of the Spirit. This is Paul talking. Now, I do want to set the stage a little bit. This is, I mean, this is after Pentecost. This is when the early church is thriving. The gifts are everywhere. Like, incredible things are happening across the known world. Paul's going around spreading the gospel. Churches are popping up everywhere. The name of Jesus is being preached all over the place. Incredible things are happening in this early church. And here comes Paul on the scene writing this letter to this church at Corinth. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit. That's words of knowledge. We love that. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. We love healing. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still another, the interpretation of tongues. Next verse. This is incredibly important. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as I determine. No, just as he determines. The gifts are given out just as he determines. They're given according to his will and what he wants. Now, remember, what did Paul say? Eagerly desire the gifts. So is it good to desire them? Yes. Is it good to pray for them? Yes. Is it good to read studies on prophecy and healing? Yes. Is it good to read biographies about healing evangelists? Yes. Is it good to pray for the gifts? Of course it is. But keep this in mind. He's the one that gives them. Something that I think is very interesting is we'll take someone with a high level of healing, a high level of gifting and prophecy, and put them up on a huge pedestal. We'll go to a conference for a certain speaker who operates highly in one of those gifts and act like that person is God almost. We begin to even almost worship that, idolize that. Why do we do that? Because we're marveled at it. It's incredible. It's not a bad thing that they operate in a high level of gifting, But think about it. The gift was given to them by God. So if all of a sudden someone gave me a Ferrari right now, it just appeared right here and someone gave it to me, many of your opinions of me would change. Your your perspective of me would change. Why? Because I had this amazing gift. But think about it. I'm not a different person. It was just a gift given to me. It doesn't change me necessarily. Now, let me say this too. People that operate in a high level of gifting, uh, many of them, I can't say all certainly, but many of them also operate at a high level of character. And that's important, right? Not everyone does, but most of them do. And most of them have developed their gift over years, many over decades. So the guys that we're, Bridgeway, we're in relationship with several guys that have high level of giftings in certain areas, whether it's Leif Hetland or Bob Hazlett, Robbie Dawkins was here recently, Chad Norris, our lead pastor, operates at a high level in healing and, and prophecy. We know a lot of guys who operate at high level of gifting, and they have stewarded their gift well 
and faithfully and in purity. And because of that, we can see biblically that God will even give certain things to some that he won't give to others. So there is a level of trust that the father has with certain people that in some way will enable him to give the gift. Think about the parable of the talents, right? One, five, and 10. He gave those, the master in the story gave them based on his level of trust for his employees, right? So just because you're crying out for something, God is good enough and smart enough to know if it's something that he should give you. If you've been crying out for something for a long time and the father's just not giving it to you, it may be because you're not mature enough to handle it. Hopefully that's not offensive, but it might be very true, right? God's good enough not to give you something so weighty that it will crush you. Because he's way more caring about your character and your heart becoming more like Jesus than he is a gift. Remember, gifts are given. Important that gifts are given. Now, if gifts are given, what is fruit? Fruit is grown. Gifts are given. Fruit is grown. This culture, Jesus, when he was alive here on the earth, in the early church, They were an agricultural society. They knew what it meant to grow things. They had a life or death relationship with growing things, right? If the crop didn't come in, people were going to starve. That would be very bad. They knew what it meant to grow fruit. They knew what it meant to bear fruit. We're going to talk about that some more in a few minutes. But the process of growing fruit has never been quick and easy. Ever. One time I remember at our old house um, in Dunwoody Oaks, I had a, a seed of a peach I'd eaten. I was outside. I thought, well, why not? Dug a little hole, stuck that thing in the ground, and nothing ever came up. Why not? Because I don't know what I'm doing. Growing fruit takes someone that knows what they're doing to care for the, the plant, care for the soil, to take a lot of time. You plant an apple tree, and in five or seven years, you'll get an apple. It doesn't pop up in a month. There's not a six-week diet plan that just all of a sudden works. It's a long process of growing. Long process. So when Jesus says, abide in me and you'll bear fruit, they knew what that meant. A lot of times we think, there's a magic pill. Just gotta come to church. Just show up every Sunday and I'll get the breakthrough I want. It just doesn't work like that. We're gonna go to our, uh, the end of chapter 12. Okay, so we just read about the spiritual gifts. Now the end of chapter 12, Paul throws this out. This is great. Eagerly desire the greater gifts. And yet, I will show you the most excellent way. Okay, so this is getting kind of interesting. Think about it from the early readers or early hearers point of view. They just heard about the gifts. They're operating in the gifts. They're loving it. Things are going great. Paul just listed the gifts and he said, eagerly desire the greater gifts. They're hearing this going, this is awesome. Like we're in the zone. And then he says, and I'll show you the most excellent way. He's going to show us the way, the super awesome, most excellent way. So let's go to the next, it would actually kind of be the next verse. It's the next chapter, but in the early, you know, in the Greek writing, there weren't chapters. I don't know if you knew that. So it would have just gone from that verse to this next one. Then he says this, here's the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels. Now don't skip ahead. Don't read the next line. Most of us know it. Think about the early hearers of this, okay? Because you've got the early church. It's growing. It's doing really well. It's thriving. There's persecution. It's a wild time for the early church, but amazing things are happening. You've got people in these early churches who are speaking in tongues in a good way. This isn't a bad thing. In a healthy way, it's impacting their intercession, their prayer life. They're loving it. 
they hear this and maybe they start to think, hey, this is the most excellent way to speak in tongues. He's about to say it. He just said there's an excellent way and he just talked about tongues. Perfect. Problem, but if you don't have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. So now the tongue speakers thought, oh man, <laughs> I had it, but now uh, it's gone. He just kind of shot me down. So let's go to the next verse because there's more people that he's going to address. What if you have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge? We love prophecy in here. We have high level prophetic people in this church. Maybe the, pro- the prophets in the house are thinking, I got it. My gift is the most excellent way. I, I am the most excellent. I can do this. Again, big problem, Paul says, if you don't have love, you've got nothing. And I forgot right in the middle there, and if I have a faith that can move mountains. Faith is a gift and a fruit, but many of you have the gift of faith where you've just had it your whole life and you have the faith that feels like all the time without even really trying too hard to have faith for whatever the situation is in front of you. And that's an amazing thing, we love that. But again, small problem, Paul says, if you don't have love, got nothing, zip. So what are we going to do about this? What are the early hearers going to do about this? What is Paul going to do? He's going to help them understand the importance of fruit, of growing fruit. Now, he talks about love in this passage. Love, as we know from Galatians, we'll look at it in a second, is the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love is the fruit of the Spirit. We know that God is love, Right, The fruit of the Spirit, the, the byproduct of a relationship with the Spirit is love. It's the result of a relationship with the Holy Spirit. You get love. It's what comes out. So this is super important for us to understand. But I want to make sure we get that the principle of just wanting things quickly, wanting things easy, uh, it just, it's infiltrated like our entire culture. Even the way that we read Scripture, I think, it's infiltrated that. Like we were driving the other day and I said to Shauna, I, I wonder if the fast food industry has just ruined our whole world. Like not even because of the health issues, obviously it's unhealthy, but it's just, it's, it's placed us in a culture where we can have anything we want at any time. Even with the internet and shopping online, Amazon Prime, I love it. You click that, click that, in two days it's at your door. It's amazing, right? But it's, it's given us this kind of idea that anything worthwhile, you can have it real quick. And there's a big problem because it doesn't operate like that when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit. When it comes to abiding in Jesus and bearing good fruit, it just doesn't work like that. But I do think it's, it's even made its way into the way we read Scripture. So let me show you this verse, John eight thirty two. This is one that we love. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We talk about this from stage. We love to preach about this. We love to quote this. Think about the way that we, we uh, mentally comprehend this verse, though. We read it, and let me just go ahead and pretend like that first word doesn't exist, okay? Forget then, because that's not important. All that's important is, I want to be free. I want to be set free in whatever the circumstances is in my life. I want breakthrough. So all I got to do, real simple, magic pill, just get some truth. Right? That's what the verse says. If you just pull that one out, (laughs) all I got to do is get some truth. So I'm going to write a verse, I'm going to put it on my windshield, and I'm going to find that breakthrough that I want. I'm going to find that freedom that I've been looking for. Minor problem, 
Nothing comes quick in the kingdom. It just doesn't work like that. To bear the fruit that we want, to get the results we want, it's just not going to be quick. Of course, we can have temporary um, breakthroughs. You know, we can have moments in our life that look great, obviously. But for the long haul, there's only one process, one solution that we'll continue talking about, especially when we get to John 15. But I want to stay focused on this. Then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Anytime you see a verse that starts with the word then, probably go back a little bit, right? Then what? Like you need to find out what then. Or some verses start with after these things. We'll go back and look at after what things. So let's look at verse 31. One verse before this. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching. Everyone say if. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Other translations of that say, if you remain in my teaching or abide in my word. If you remain in me, it's a constant, continuous, daily type of a word. If you remain, if you abide in my teaching, in my word, then what does it say? Then you're really my disciples. Sometimes Jesus is, he's just too good. He's just too much sometimes. He didn't say, then you're my disciples. He said, then you're really my disciples. And then what? Then you will know the truth. And then you'll be set free. The process to freedom, the process to breakthrough is not just through one encounter, through one moment of truth. We've got to go back and understand the process of growing fruit and what Jesus is all about, what God has been about from the beginning, fruit, long-term, long process, day in and day out for years and years and years. That's how you bear the fruit. That's how you are really his disciple is what he said. And then... Then is the key word there. Then you'll know the truth. Then you'll be set free. Now the word in John 8, 31, if you go back one, for remain, or if you hold to my teaching, it's the same word used in John 15, the word abide. Okay, same Greek word used. If you abide in my word. Same Greek word used in John 15. So let's go to John 15 and look at this. Exact same word. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you, same word there remain in me. So Jesus is using the exact same word. If you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Now, again, sometimes Jesus has some like gray area, I guess, but a lot of times he's very black and white. Like we don't like black and white people in our culture because it's too like, I don't know, offensive or something. If you were around Jesus when he was here on earth, every single word that came out of his mouth offended somebody. It's just how it worked. Listen to what he said. It's so clear. It's so like, It kind of hurts in a good way. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Very black and white. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Remain, fruit. Don't remain, no fruit. Next verse. If you do not remain in me. Now this is where he kind of like goes overboard, but I love it. You are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. Goodness. (laughs) Sometimes Jesus does not mess around. If you remain in me, you'll bear fruit. If you don't, you won't. Very simple. Is there a next verse? If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. We love that part. That part's exciting. We love the gift part, right? Ask something, I'll give you a gift. Ask whatever you wish. It'll be given to you. But... 
remember the context. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, then, then, you'll know the truth. Truth will set you free. Then ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. It's very contingent, which makes us all a little uncomfortable, but the good thing is it's not contingent on him, right? It's contingent on us, abiding in him, remaining in him. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So again, I hope this isn't offensive, but the way that we know we're disciples is by our love for one another. That's a Bible verse. The way we know we're disciples is by love. What is love? It's the fruit of the Spirit, okay? Bear much fruit. What kind of fruit are we supposed to bear? How do we get a little better, better handle on this, a better grasp of this? Let's look at Galatians 5. We like this verse. This is a pretty familiar passage. I'm going to read it, and then um, all the way through verse 25. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Now, one thing I do kind of believe is that a lot of um, theologians think that the fruit of the Spirit is love. That's it. It's kind of like a period should be at the end of that. And then it kind of suggests what love is, is these other eight things. So you look at fruit, it's singular. It doesn't say, but the fruits of the Spirit are Just think about that if you want to. The fruit of the Spirit is love. It's singular. It is the answer. It is the most excellent way, as Paul would say. Here's what love is. It's joy. It's peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And let's keep reading, though. This is important. Against such things there is no law. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Listen to this last verse. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Other translations say walk in step with the Spirit. How do we bear fruit? Exact same concept. We walk in step with the Spirit. Over time. (laughs) Over the long haul. And even thinking about the long haul, for a lot of us in here, it's like I I don't even like to think about that. Because we've been so just ingrained with our culture where everything should happen right now. Everything should be quick. Everything should be easy. Like, I don't want to, goodness, I don't want to get political in here, but think about even like the financial assistance that the government offers to some people that, can, that have a hard time working or that are injured, right? All, are all those people like mani- manipulating the system? Of course not. But you can understand kind of why some people might get better and they could be able to work, but then they'd say, I'd rather just take the free money, Right? I mean, don't blame them. It's just human nature. Like we're wired to receive what is offered to us. If it's free, I'll take it all day. So it's just part of human nature to accept whatever is given and to enjoy that and not be willing to put the time in to work, to put the time in to walk day in and day out with the spirit, to produce the fruit. And what does our world need like right now? And what do the people around us need? What does our neighborhoods need? They need another prophetic word. Do they need to read Bill Johnson's latest book? Or do they need you to just operate in the fruit of the Spirit? To just show them kindness? To show them gentleness? But again, how do we bear these fruits? How do, how do they come up? Do we just ask for these? Do we eagerly desire these? I mean, we certainly can ask for patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness. There's a couple of passages that seem to uh, insinuate that you can ask for peace and God gives peace. We know that. But in general, these fruits are grown. Grown how? 
out of our intimacy with God. It's the only way that they're grown over time, our intimacy with God. It's the only way. And the real question is, are you willing to put in the time? Are you willing to put in the work? Are you willing to pursue love? To pursue Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Put 1 Corinthians 14.1 back up there. I want to talk about what this word pursue means. Pursue love. This is the first verse we read, remember? Earnestly desire his spiritual gifts. Yes, of course, but let's pursue love. What does that mean? This is a Greek word, and it is used to explain the, the concept, the mentality behind a hunter going after his prey. Okay, this is what pursue means. So really follow me for a second here. Just picture a lion, like in, the, in Africa, it's hiding behind the bush, and it's waiting for that wildebeest to come up. This is what pursue means. When it springs out of that bush, does it go, hey, wildebeest, come here. I just, I'm going to walk over here. Let's make this cordial. No, the lion goes crazy, like an intense, aggressive, life or death moment, Right? Because it knows if I don't get this thing, my kids might not eat today. How do you pursue God? Do you pursue him like that? Or do you pursue him kind of going, you know, I'll just flip over my Bible wherever it kind of opens and we'll see what happens. I mean, think about like a pack of wolves. I remember on that Planet Earth show, I think that was it. They did this, they had this overhead shot of this pack of wolves hunting like an elk or something in Alaska and they work together, the wolves do. Obviously, God just gave them that instinct. But think about the spiritual application of that. Do you pursue God in community? Do you work in unity with your brothers and sisters? Think about those wolves. It's incredibly disciplined. It's structured. It's planned out in some way. Do you pursue God like that? What if one of the wolves was like, hey, man, I'm just not feeling it today. Not really into this whole hunting thing. Well, with the head wolf, all right, no problem, Phil. You just kind of hang back, no big deal. Is that, isn't that how we pursue God a lot of times? You wake up in the morning, just a little tired. I'm just not, I'm not feeling it today. I don't know, I mean, somebody else might catch it and then I can get to eat off that. The pastor will have something, right? I'll eat that. Or do we approach it with this? It's just a combination of discipline and structure, but there's also a wild, ravenous aggression towards our pursuit of God. That's what the verse says. Pursue love. Go after it with all your heart. It's a theme throughout the whole Bible. I mean, we know this. I think most of us know this. I guess the real question is, are you willing to? Is Jesus worth it? Maybe that's the better question. So if you look at most of our lives, and I'll point my finger right at myself, my life doesn't seem to show that Jesus is really worth it a lot of the times. My pursuit of love is like, 
you know, 50%. But because God is a God of principle, I'll probably get 50% of him, you know? I'll catch 50% of him. And in my fast food culture world with three kids and a busy life, that's enough for me. And for a lot of believers, it is. Now, let me make sure that I say this. Romans 8, 1. There's no condemnation for anyone who's in Christ Jesus. If you're hearing this, if you're looking at those fruits of the Spirit and thinking, yeah, I don't have that. I don't have a lot of peace in my life. I don't bring peace into my home. I don't have a lot of patience. I don't carry joy with me. Please don't feel condemned. If you're feeling condemned, it's not from the Father. If you're feeling convicted, it's from the Holy Spirit. And that's good. And if you want to know, just ask your spouse. (laughs) Say, hey, do I carry joy? Ask someone that, you're, that you trust, that you love, that you're close to. Do I carry peace into my home? Man, when I get in the car in the morning to bring those three kids to school, it's like World War III just to try to get some peace in that car. But guess what? It's not up to my kids. It's up to me. Now here's the real sobering part. If I don't carry peace everywhere I go, Again, it doesn't make me an evil person, you know? Don't hear me saying that. It's not condemning. But if I don't carry peace, it is a direct correlation to the fact that my relationship with God is something's wrong. Why can I say that? Because the fruit of the Spirit is peace. The byproduct of a relationship with God is peace. And as Jesus said, if I don't have that relationship, if I'm not abiding, I won't bear peace. (laughs) It's incredibly black and white and incredibly straightforward. It's just a matter if we're going to be honest with ourselves and and look at each of the fruits and say, do I carry joy everywhere I go? I mean, this is a big one for Christians. Like what? I don't know what happened along the way, but joy is not one of the characteristics that Christians are known for in general. We're known for being more judgmental than joyful. And I don't think that we need to say, well, we're just bad people, let's give up. No, we need to look at our individual relationships with the Father, with the Son, with the Holy Spirit, and say, what's off a little bit? Because if I'm not producing joy, if I'm not producing it, if it's not in operation in my life on a daily basis, if the fruit is not healthy, something's wrong over here with the relationship. So we don't need to just beat ourselves up, but we do need to look at our relationship with the Father and say, am I pursuing him? Am I pursuing love with everything I've got? If I don't have self-control, again, don't beat yourself up. Just ask yourself the question, why not? Can you read a book on how to get self-control? Yeah, that's fine. Pray for it, yes. But above all, intimacy with the Father. It's how the fruit is produced. And the real question is, are we willing to go for it? Are we willing to go for it like that, like pursuing him? Are we willing to, Jeremiah 29, 13, seek him and find him with our whole heart? I honestly think if we had, I mean, I think that Bridgeway, we've got a, a large number of people that wants it, that like, I bet like 80% of you are like into this. They're like, yes, I want that. But saying I want it and then being willing to put the time in 
to go after are two very different things. And here's the thing too. I don't want this to sound, I don't know, sarcastic. I think all of us in here know what we need to do to pursue love. Like you probably don't need someone to say, read the Bible, right? You know that. You probably don't need someone to tell you to pray. You probably don't need someone to tell you to worship. We know the spiritual disciplines. We know what we need to do to pursue him. Of course, not out of legalism, um, not anything like that, but out of friendship, out of intimacy. We know the things we need to do. It's just a matter of, are we willing to do them? Are we willing to step up to the plate? Are we willing to pursue him with everything we've got, with our whole hearts? And I can tell you, 100% certainty that that Bridgeway is going to be a place that pursues love at all costs. Nothing's going to stand in our way, ever. This staff is pursuing God with everything we've got. And our invitation to you guys, our challenge to you, is to jump up to the plate with us. We want to change this world for the kingdom. There's only really one way to do it. Intimacy with the Father. Why don't you stand with me and we'll pray. Father, we love you. Holy Spirit, we love you. Jesus, we love you. I do ask you, Holy Spirit, to stir up our hearts. Stir up our desire for the spiritual gifts. Stir up our Uh, our passion for the spiritual gifts. And I do ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would just give us the courage to pursue you with everything we've got. May Bridgeway Church always, always, always be known for one thing, love. We bless your name, Jesus. Amen. If you have any needs at all, we'd love for you to come forward and receive prayer from our prayer servants. Otherwise, God bless you. We'll see you next week.